Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Peacock fuels your true crime obsession with exclusive new originals like John Wayne Gacy, Devil in Disguise. He said to me, Klaus can get away with murder. Dr. Death. The Undoctored Story. This guy's dangerous. And Epstein's shadow, Ghislaine Maxwell. She inherited Jeffrey Epstein's secrets. There was this whole other world going on. Plus the most bingeable crime series, Buried in the Backyard and Snapped. And with the Dateline 24-7 channel that's always on. Did you want her death? You can't not obsess. Sign up now at PeacockTV.com. This show is part of the Head Stuff Podcast Network. Dave Hanratty and there will be no encore. Welcome to the No Encore Music Podcast and the Headstuff Podcast Network. Delighted to join the European Super League of Podcasts. We're going to be going up against the likes of Nile Nine and the Point of Everything every Wednesday night, and it's one for the legacy fans, the fans of the future. It's a very exciting enterprise. Craig Fitzpatrick is the COO of this enterprise. How are you feeling about it, buddy? Uh, pretty good. Um, I think it's it's a kind of a bright new dawn for. Um just kind of culture in general, um, the people. I'm feeling very much like the Hanson to your Des Lynam right now as well. What a tune that is. It's pretty good, yeah. It, it tends to just kind of get you in the mood. But uh, I, I did pivot with the idea of becoming a football podcast for the week that's in it, but I figure, like, <laughs> that's not what people want from us, though, I think. I think they no. want music instead. I've, a, I've also had my, like, biannual dip back into football podcasts. Do you know what I mean? Like, every now and then something will happen and you're like, I have to listen to all of them at once. I didn't go as far as subscribing to um, the World Service uh, as I usually want to do. If I had been an extra day, I think I might have, but... 
yeah it's been a great week though for 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 football related content and soap opera related nightmares i very much enjoyed it and i i myself have been hooking all of the football podcast to my veins but this is a music podcast it's episode 270 of the wonderful no encore music podcast and we will not be talking about football any further on this episode i do apologize to those oh. of you who who are upset do you know what actually got game? lost in the mix a little bit the fucking facts that they were going to lose the champions league music like there was no team tune it was an absolute PR disaster straight out of the gate. You need, as we heard just from the opening there, you need some big hooks to get the people on board. That's where they fell down, I think. You do indeed. And that's why this week's top five is of a similar nature, but in a different entertainment world. It's the Oscars this weekend coming up. And so in its honour, Craig and I have run the rule over the best songs written for the movies, for the motion pictures. That's our top five this week. Later in the show, before that, we'll review the brand new album from a band that we've never really discussed before on this show. We have discussed them on No Ox Chord, which you can get via patreon.com slash noencore bonus episodes once a month. Uh, and that band are called The Armed. They're an experimental outfit who may be a bunch of actors themselves. It's all very theatrical this week. Should note as well on that vein, brand new episode of No Popcorn Out Now with David Tapley of Tandem Felix hosting a scattershot, wild epic reflection of Nashville by Robert Altman, which in itself is a scattershot, wild epic. Lots going on in your feed, lots to come. And it's time to start the way we always do. <laughs> You heard about the good news? And of course, only one place to start in the music world this week in 2021. Morrissey is upset with The Simpsons. For more, Craig Fitzpatrick. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised that um, The Simpsons hadn't skewered Morrissey before this, but uh, it's it's taken until now. Um, Voiced by Benedict Cumberbatch, which Morrissey is kind of particularly annoyed at as well. Um, Quillowby is the lead singer of a band called The Snuffs. Maybe I'll have to watch this. That Lisa gets into. No, don't, um, don't, don't encourage him. This is bad. <laughs> their eighties output, and then she discovers, oh, shock horror, that Quillaby is turned into a racist. Um, so, like, obviously, it became uh, pretty apparent that they were kind of aiming um, their satire at Morrissey. Of course, there's lots of kind of veganism stuff in there. Songs done by Brett McKenzie, who I like as well. I might watch it. Although some of the quotes we have here in the story, they're just very, very on the nose and actually i would say morrissey not a great bloke but his statement about it is probably funnier than the episode is that fair that's often the case though i mean something you 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 mentioned or sorry didn't mention there when you were kind of summarizing the episode uh, which is called panic on the streets of springfield very good uh lisa becomes a fan of this band via her slapify algorithm app which i'm just like really like is this season fucking 33 now or whatever the simpsons are on like the well is long dry um this is one of those weird situations where i feel like you know it's a it's a case of you know both parties can be both right and wrong, and also because I don't agree with depicting Morrissey as like you know the overweight thing is just such a cheap shot. It also doesn't really apply to him, but like you know, fair enough. Call him racist if you want to. We're not doing that. Please don't come after us, Morrissey. Um, essentially, it's one of those things where his statement is close to being the heartbreaking, the worst person you know just made a great point meme. But of course, in typical Morrissey fashion, he loses the thread. He ruins it. Uh, yeah, yeah. Will I will I read the entire statement, Craig? Will I? I might as well. Only um, if you do it in Morrissey's voice. It I has can't to be do that. withering. But I can't. You can be like, withering. I can be withering, but it, like he's got a very specific brogue, and I don't know if I have it. I could do it on my draw to accent, but that would be a bit weird, so I'm not going to. 
I'll do the opening sentence of my draw action. This is me false comment. No, okay, I'm not going to do that. Uh, this is Morrissey's statement because there was a, there was a weird thing where like the first thing that happened was a big statement was issued on a Facebook page. Everyone thought it was Morrissey. Turns out it was his manager, so it was misattributed. And then he put out one of his own on a forum, and he says, and I quote. This is my first comment and hopefully my last on the Simpsons episode, which I know has enraged many people. The hatred shown towards me from the creators of The Simpsons is obviously a taunting lawsuit, but one that requires more funding than I could possibly muster in order to make a challenge. Neither do I have a determined business squad of legal practitioners ready to pence. I think this is generally understood and is the reason why I am so carelessly and noisily attacked. You are especially despised if your music affects people in a strong and beautiful way, since music is no longer required to. In fact, the worst thing you can do in 2021 is to lend a bit of strength to the lives of others. There's no place in modern music for anyone with strong emotions. Limitations have been placed on art and no label will sign an artist who might answer back. Anyway, forgive me. We all know this is because uh, we all know this because we can see how music and the world in general has become a mesmerizing mess and we must let it go spinning along unbearably because free speech no longer exists. We all know this. In my case, nothing about my life has ever been matter of fact. Nothing about my songs has ever been matter of fact, so why would they now be? Since my very first interview several decades ago, I have lived with horrible accusations to such a degree that it is generally understood that this is how we write about Morrissey, in other words. I'm quite used to it. I've had enough horror thrown at me that would kill off a herd of bison. Accusations usually come from someone with a crazed desire for importance. They don't operate at a very high level. Writing for The Simpsons, for example, evidently requires only complete ignorance. But all of these things are too easy for me to say. In a world obsessed with hate laws... There are none that protect me. Often yeah, the scandal this is where he sheets. Loses it. This is, I think he kind of <laughs> had lost it, but this is officially where he loses it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, then he goes. Often the scandal sheets. Do we still refer to them as quote unquote newspapers? Attempt to psychologically wound an artist and then hopefully stir up enough hatred against them so that he or she is physically wounded. False theories of race. Uh, I don't want to continue with this. This. Yeah, 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 yeah. It goes where you think it will. Um, and then he says that Smith fans have always been attacked. Um, and he kind of he's talking about uh, the battle fatigue that he faces alone and he ends it kind of like in really grand um histrionic morrissey terms where he's just of saying course he that, does. you know life is difficult and you must face it on your own and even with the impossible to imagine legal artillery everything can be repaired except the human heart it is easier <laughs> for me not to go on you know i couldn't last which yeah, is like if li- anyone else released that kind of statement you'd be like can we? Can someone go around the house to check on them? Like this is very, but it's just Morrissey's kind of florid writing. Well, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I mean, like one part of me is like, should I have read all that out from giving him this oxygen or whatever? But like, it's more because I just think the whole thing is ridiculous. Like, it's 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 a terrible Simpsons sketch in like in a show that has long run its course. An artist who has probably long run his course from like any kind of quality control point of view as well. And it's like, yeah, listen. I mean, like you know cheap shots in terms of appearance i don't agree with morrissey has said enough fucked up shit to be to have i think a phrase like racist thrown at him with like there is evidence to back it up i mean he says in the statement that he uh he can't really afford lawsuits he could probably crush us if he wanted to so we'll make like the ending of his novel and look the other way in that regard don't want to get sued mate but look he's embarrassed himself quite often and increasingly so over the years it's a shame in a way because like We've previously spoken about him and written about him in, in glowing terms like when engaging with the music, but somewhere along the way, his personality began to dictate things to such a degree that it became genuinely untenable, very offensive, and quite cruel. Um, I'm, this just strikes me as, like, it's it's two big fucking dying franchises. Like, and, and like, this is, like... 
they're like their 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 death rattle at each other, and it's so it's just like it does Christ, feel, like, these are things I used to feel, love. Like what the hell? Yeah, it does feel inadvertently of the moment where it's just like you know Simpsons kind of classic episodes would occasionally be like Lisa meets an inspirational hero and like actually learns a lot about life, and it's really feel good, and um, it kind of you know rises above just um, you know a Sunday evening comedy, and now it's like. You meet your hero, they're an absolute prick, and everything is a bit substandard as well. It feels very 2021. Well, speaking of 2021 and the current state of things and the feeling in the air, the Brit Awards have been pushed back by a few months, but don't worry, Craig, they are going ahead and they will have actual human beings at it, and they won't be wearing masks or doing social distancing. It's part of a... Probably not. Um, it's going ahead next month, and it's part of a UK kind of test event. There's like, they're doing like a dozen of these across April and May to trial the idea of crowds with no social distancing. The Brits have been touted as one of the events to participate, and it's now been confirmed that there will be a capacity crowd, or rather under-capacity crowd, of uh, 2,500 uh, individuals with free tickets being offered to frontline workers. Fans won't be asked to wear masks or social distance, but will have to provide a negative test before being granted entry. Dua Lipa has hailed this, said it's great, you know, like our heroes on the front line, we're going to reward them. Uh, there's a great quote here from the chief executive of the Brits and the BPI, Jeff Taylor, who says, this year's Brit Awards with MasterCard is one of the most significant <laughs> in the show's history. I was like, oh, it gets it straight in. And um, yeah. yeah, it's your typical kind of like, you know, obviously the UK, like they're starting to relax a lot of restrictions. We're seeing endless imagery on our Instagram feeds of friends of ours over in London being in beer gardens. And we're not jealous at all. Um, as always, it's a case of wait and see. Uh, this is an interesting one, though, because it will be so highly publicized and televised. Should note as well, um, this is my favorite part of the show where I get to throw it to Melvin Ben for a quote Yay. because he's been out he in force. Yet again. Point. It's getting to that stage. Uh, Festival of Republic boss Melvin Ben speaking about uh, some of the upcoming stuff said this. Hang on, he's not. This isn't about Do the Brit Awards. Marcy's voice. He's not referring to the Brit Awards. He's referring to a Blossoms gig. They're going to headline a five thousand capacity yeah. massless gig in Liverpool on the second of May on the May Bank Holiday weekend. And Melvin Ben says this will be the first gig in the Northern Hemisphere where it's a proper show with five thousand people, not social distance, not having to wear a mask, with bars and food stalls in the arena, and it will feel like a mini version of a festival. The punters will just be able to behave as though COVID had never happened, the unless punters. of course. Unless, of course, any of them were horribly affected by yeah. it in the last 12 months. And we, I guess you know, more importantly... Like one in 5,000 you know, people probably have been... If if they behave as though COVID never happened, maybe all of his bullish quotes about COVID not being a big deal are actually true. And he had the last laugh. Would you go to either of these shows if, if, if it was possible for you to go? Like, Would you be the guinea pig for the sake of a Blossoms gig or a Brit if Awards? If people are going in and they've, test, like, they've tested negatively, so we know that... Everything is safe, right? I mean, the science is saying that it's pretty safe. There might be a minimal risk, but I think it's okay. You can go in, you can see Blossoms. Uh, I'd probably go, no, I'm not that into Blossoms and stay home. How about you? That's fair enough. No, I mean, like, I got to the Brit Awards thing just to see what the crack was, but I don't want to get in the way of the... It's a bit too soon. Yeah, I, yeah. I, like there's lots of gigs being announced and going on sale and I'm just, I don't know, it just feels very, a lot of this is going to be a case of like looking over to other people and seeing what happens with them and making sure there's no fourth or fifth waves or whatever. So I miss gigs terribly, you know, yeah. but I just kind of feel like, you know, I, I'm talking, I was saying, because like you saw it, like you can see me on mic now, like my face is like beat red this week because I was out in the sun for a few hours, like on Friday and then yesterday as well. Uh, I, I've got some fucking, like, yeah, it's horrible sunburn i look terrible but i mean like got the essentially, out though yeah 
Um, I've got some 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 SPF or whatever that is. I need to get some aloe vera, okay. but like, don't worry. Like, I'm keeping it under moisturizer control. I'm, I'm making sure it's Good. not going to be too bad of a thing. Don't worry about me, listener. But it's one of those things where I wonder if like it feels like my tolerance for the sun itself has gone. My tolerance for like a night out of boozing or a gig. My fear is or that like I'll go to general, a gig. And, yeah, yeah, for sure. Like my fear is that I'll go to a gig and I'll, I'll have like a panic attack. Panic two attack. In or I think that. we're all in that boat, though, right? It's gonna be. It's gonna be kind two of two pints and I'm it's done. It's gonna be. Yeah. Yeah. We're not going to know until we kind of get out there a bit more. And, you know, I think first it's like going to the pub and seeing how that feels. And then we can start talking about gigs. I think if your first time seeing a crowd of people was at a, like a mosh pit scenario, most people will be having a little panic attack. So, yeah, it's, it's kind of softly, softly, I think. Well, maybe we're just getting old, Craig. Maybe we're maybe we're softly, softly. But, you know, speaking of, you know, taking precautions, being older, Here's a weird link. Bob Dylan is an elder <laughs> statesman. In, in, <laughs> Bob Dylan is an elder statesman of the music world. Probably wouldn't be safe for him to be at a 5,000 person massless gig right now. All due respect to the man himself. But his name has provoked a lot of fighting this week, Craig. It has, yeah. What's going on? There's a, whole little, there's a whole little kind of Dylan universe as well. And I'd say like there's ardent fans out there that are like chomping at the bit. Chomping, chomping to, you know, see him live again and would definitely be those guinea pigs. Because like the Dylanologists have, as I say, like their own kind of little reality, their own relationships, their own kind of infighting. What's happened now is two writers who've um, penned Dylan biographies um, kind of years apart have been indirectly um, taking jabs at each other and it's kind of all come out in the wash. So Howard Soones or Soones, I'm going to go with Soones and just imagine he's Graham Soones because it's more fun. He wrote a book back in 2001 called Down the Highway, The Life of Bob Dylan. Uh, He's responded to Clinton Halen's insults in The Double Life of Bob Dylan. In the introduction to this new book, Halen calls Sunes a professional dirt digger who had written a semi-literate book. And Sunes has, has been talking to The Guardian and he goes, listen, Halen, he's a clunky, self-indulgent writer and his new biography is incredibly boring. Uh, he said, I'm, I'm really, I'm not really polite. Um, or sorry, he said, it's not really polite to tell other writers they're bad writers because they tend to fling it back at you, which he just has just done. In response, I would say he's a clunky, self-indulgent writer. His books are all very long and baggy. They're about his interpretation of Dylan songs and it's incredibly boring. Uh, he's apparently upset that um, Sunes got a lot of publicity when Dylan, uh, when he revealed Dylan had a secret second marriage years back. And it seems to be a case of like, one is like very much into the literate Dylan and looking at it academically and analysing the songs. And this Sunes dude is, I mean, to be honest, he's a news journalist for The Mirror. So I think I might be with Halen on this one. Have you taken a side, Dave? Quality publication like The Mirror, you know where I stand, Craig. <laughs> um, I, much like there's not enough, you know, music feuds in, in the Irish music scene, there's not enough writer feuds, there's not enough journalist feuds anymore, there's not enough of that, you know. So I can only look forward to the day with fervent hope that when you and I eventually fall out that we'll be sniping at each other from public corners and I can be like, doing that show with, Fitz, with Fitzpatrick for <laughs> all those years. Uh, the semi-literate Fitzpatrick. <laughs> yeah, clunky, <laughs> inadequate stylings on music itself. His verbosity was as irritating as it was banal. 
well. Like, like that's where I want us to end up, hopefully, in about 10 years' time, which, yeah, you know, could dream, buddy. It could. <laughs> but for now, we're, we're very much in sync. We're very much simpatico. Uh, I haven't taken a side on this one, Craig. I'm just glad that it's happening. Um, it's weird. There's, it, it's, it's a bit of a lean music news week, it must be said, which, you know, can happen. It's okay. There's Paul Weller giving out about streaming. There's Britney Spears saying she's okay. But we will close our news section this week yes. with uh, very important news over on Kiss Corner, which Let's I go tend full to radio occupy. Nova. Um, all right, so uh, Kiss Corner uh, about the legendary band Kiss, of course, who we love at this show. Um, I don't even know. Uh, long past the point of irony. Um, after a lengthy bidding war, which I'm the sure is true, show or Kiss. Uh, both, I suppose. Okay. Netflix right. is near to closing a deal for a forthcoming Kiss biopic, uh, set to be called Shout It Out Loud. Shout Out Loud. According to Deadline, the film looks to be produced in close collaboration with the band leaders Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley. Great. There goes any kind of potential warts and all stuff right oh, there. Oh, for sure. Be, oh, fuck's sake. Um, driven by stories of the pair's formative years as misfit kids in New York Borough of Queens and how their unlikely friendship led to the formation of Kiss alongside Ace Frehley and Peter Chris, the last of whom I believe is the Catman. Um, there's a there's a section here that was singled out by NME, where this, which I, I, I find strange. Um, one such tale of reminiscence is Simmons yeah. is a 12-year-old Hasidic Orthodox Jew who discovered a new faith as he left the yeshiva, a Jewish educational institution. And then you have this quote from Gene Simmons when he says, I remember walking out onto the street, seeing this Spanish girl jumping rope across the street and staring at her long black hair slapping against this great butt. Oh, it, it occurred to me this was better than religion. How can I get near that? Now, yeah, you say it's strange that the enemy have singled this out, but I'm like, this is very telling. This is like, clearly, <laughs> you know, we know exactly what we're going to get. Because when I was reading that, I was like... Um, you know, he's discovering a new faith. I'm like, oh, it's going to be about how, like, he first fell in love with music. And no, <laughs> it's just, like, all about that ass, which is, like, so bloody kiss, isn't it? It's just, yeah, I think they're just so. Motley Crue. They're just a bunch of twats with songs I feel that like aren't that great. I wouldn't, I, I haven't gone through the kissography, but I have to assume that All About That Ass is probably album number 17 <laughs> or something. And yeah, you, like, I think it's he, a concept he, album. About some bodacious <laughs> babes from outer space or something, yeah. Yeah, I, like, ugh, it's, I just I just despair sometimes. Um, you, you, you hit the nail on the head, though. It's going to be The Dirt, that terrible film that they made before, which was also a Netflix film. Um, this will be directed, though, uh, sadly not by the likes of Martin Scorsese or anybody, um, Norwegian filmmaker Joachim Ronning, who has made Maleficent, Mistress of Evil, and Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Men, Tell No Tales, mm. which to me just says, gun for hire, you know, get him in, he'll do totally, a job. yeah. He'll get paid. Uh, neither no band nor crew. No resistance whatsoever to Gene Simmons' notes. Yeah, which, of which there will be copious amounts. Neither <laughs> yeah, band nor yeah. crew have uh, have commented on the production, which I find strange. I would have thought they'd be out in front with this because they love relevancy and they love all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I mean, watch this space. It could be an old popcorn episode. I hope it isn't. And uh, that's the news section for this week, guys. Uh, if you want something a bit more wholesome, how about this show on the Headstuff Podcast Network? This is how it's always been. Double Love is a podcast in which we explore the strange and terrifying world of Sweet Valley High, book by book. Join me, Anna Carey. And me, Karen Moynihan. As we revisit one of the maddest series of books ever written or ghostwritten. If you ever read about the perfect blonde Wakefield twins, Elizabeth and Jessica, with their eyes the colour of the Pacific Ocean, then you might enjoy listening to us absolutely tearing them to shreds. Affectionately, of course. 
But of course. And even if you didn't, there's still plenty of drama, kidnappings, stolen boyfriends, and seemingly mandatory school dances to entertain you. Find us on the Headstuff Podcast Network and wherever you get your podcasts. Sensational stuff. All right. Um, you know, literature, lore, all of these things, all present at all times and often present in the music. Our album review this week is very much of that nature. This is a band called The Armed and this song is called All Futures. You didn't have your earphones up to full blast there, listener. Uh, that is The Armed. The song is called All Futures. It's the first single off this album, which is called Ultra Pop. Everything in block capital is much like no encore. Are we simpatico with this band? Maybe. I guess we'll find out. This is their fourth album. It is Detroit Collective. They are an anonymous hardcore punk band or a metalcore band, if, if, if that mathcore as well. It's all in there. Um, but yeah, it's interesting because like, I normally throw to Craig for a primer now. Craig caught me off guard in the break there. and <laughs> said, like, what do you do it, Dave? <laughs> Seeing the, as these are your boys. Um, I did collective. choose this album. Yeah, I, I've been... Well, I only heard of this band in recent months because um, like, they announced an Irish show. I think I saw Leagues of Tool on Twitter put up like the artwork, which kind of caught my eye. And then I gave that song there all futures ago. And it is probably my most played song of the year so far. I absolutely love that song. And I okay. was very much very much intrigued um, this is definitely up my street uh, we were discussing what album we would do last week and it was this or it was going to be London Grammar maybe something else and I was like yeah, I was like, I kind of want to do this one I kind of I want to shine some spotlight on these guys and it's getting good reviews um, the talk around this band though is quite strange because are they who they say they are is the question I sent Craig a bunch of literature last week to help yeah. him on his armed musical journey I'm on the same journey like I say this band have three other albums I've only like, kind of given a cursory listen to a couple of the other ones from what I can glean this style of music is a bit more I guess based on previous stuff this one is slightly lighter but you still have lots of screamo stuff you still have lots of very very hardcore music in there it's not for everyone's taste it is for fans of bands like Converge and Dillinger Escape Plan which I very much am but Craig what is the story with these guys and is that story a bit too pretentious for its own good and do you believe any of it? It's an interesting question. Uh, you mentioned Converge there and like they're obviously um, an act that's very dear to your heart. I'm surprised you weren't kind of on board with uh, this lot a bit earlier because it would seem that a lot of it revolves around Kurt Ballou of um, Converge who's produced all of their albums up until now. Um, he's been in a lot of their press and to be honest as I went through all of the literature it seemed like this was kind of like uh, you know a, a bit of a wheeze on his part where it's like... <laughs> Not quite a super band, but um, or super group, but a side project where he can bring in different players that maybe don't necessarily want to be tethered to the promotional cycle. He can have some fun with the concepts of like interviews in general, the platform we give to musicians and artists, and how that influences the work, and just like get up to a bit of mischief. And the whole thing's quite neat. Like it's, I you know, I I was um, 
I was poking you a bit there, but I think far and away this was the most interesting proposition of the week in terms of albums. It's not really my field, uh, the field of noise, but I was, you know, up for some exploration and then I got my homework, lots of literature links, and I do love some prep. So, and you know, like like you, I'm, I'm partial to a, a mystery outfit. Um, we're both real life acolytes, I suppose. We think the weekend's best days were probably when he was shrouded in mystery. Um, I went to the wiki first. I saw the Converge links. I saw the Dillinger um, players that are kind of involved and it seemed like right up your alley. And then getting into your articles, you know, voice pieces, and they are just pure voice fuel for sure. Um, more recent Stereogum stuff. It seemed to me like this was like the KLF concept has finally caught on in, in America. So it's just quite subversive. And in terms of like maybe practical avant-garde musical jokes to me it was somewhere between like it's not quite klf burning like a million quid which is like a really cool move like a lot of their kind of weird conspiracy stuff is that they'll get name checked in like a ford ad which is kind of weird so it's like oh how connected are these guys and oh is tony hawk involved and i'm like i don't really care about this scene enough to for for me to be like chasing down those avenues um but it's way more interesting than, say, for example, like Arcade Fire's Everything Now project, where they were just like, we're making a statement and about, you know, modern consumerism. And I think this is doing that a little bit more deftly. Yeah, Going I guess through, we should, Yeah, go well, on. We, we should probably just interject at this point for anyone who has no clue who these guys are, that like one of the key kind of quote-unquote mysteries surrounding this band is who's in it essentially because like they they put out a live performance of all futures there a few months ago and in in doing so was kind of like pulling the curtain back a bit and being like well this is in the band now and there's some debate raging as to whether or not that like the people in that video are actually in the band are they actors are some of them in the band are others not uh, is the singer actually in a different band because there was an, uh, there was an article on Stereogum in which two of the guys pretty much just talked at length for about 5,000 words about their bodybuilding their regime workout routines yeah it turned and, it was like a transcription of a joke rogan podcast (laughs) yeah it really really was and it was kind of like and in all the comments people are saying stuff like they're like i don't think that either of these two people giving this interview are actually in this band even the singer who's in the video they were like um they're like well this is this is the singer but like here's a photograph of him in a different band he's a different name like who's really kind of putting the music together is this all a front for something is it all one big practical joke um i cut you off there earlier on just to kind of give that context but what have you kind of fame with that and yeah and what else did you find on your travels really it did seem to me like i just keep coming back to that thing of like i think it's the converged dude and his mates and it's like a detroit collective and they have the kind of sway to you know pull off these very glossy um videos and get actors involved and it's quite high concept but it's not really it doesn't have that grassroots like they emerged from nowhere thing for me to really get me on board you know what i mean like it feels like it's kind of a lot of established players in a scene uh, you know, putting out very solid music and having a little fun with it, but it's it's kind of quite connected. And yeah, when I was I was going through, you know, the Stereo Cum article um, does go on for like an eternity. And a lot of the conspiracy theories seem to amount to like they have celebrity mates and there's, of course, Andrew WK references and stuff like that. And it did, it started to feel a little kind of wearying. It's not as subtle as you think it might be. There wasn't really very many avenues of intrigue. I'm all for like playing around with the form for sure and applaud them, but it wasn't quite working for me. And why that stood out to me um, was because at that stage, I think I'd had four listens to the record and 
the record wasn't like that at all. It was like, it didn't outstay its welcome. It was really dynamic. It was carefully judged. Uh, like the hooks are there to kind of sweeten the pill. They know when to kind of let you catch your breath. There's unexpected kind of synth placements when you think there's going to be a guitar solo. Great guest spots. Um, and it was, it, it kind of, it worked for me. That kind of, you know, it, it swerves from kind of dream pop through a blender to these kind of buried, submerged pop punk singles, really. And it all proved kind of quite Moorish and, and fun. And certainly more fun, I think, than the whole story around them. How about you? Yeah. No, you're, you're taking the words out of my mouth. I mean, like, I was drawn to this band based on the strength of that song, which I think is an, I think is an incredible piece of music. And I was, you know, minorly intrigued by the kind of presentation of them, I suppose. I mean, aesthetic-wise as well, everything is, like, sharp, pristine, yeah, beautifully yeah. packaged. Uh, like, there's clearly, whoever's running this, you know, like, knows how to market, knows how to, you know, just present, I suppose. Um and even like, yeah, we mentioned the Stereogum interview. Like, it's very clear to me that like the journalists have to be in on this joke as well, I suppose. Like, because you're I doing... think even when I was Googling some of the names of supposed band members, it would take you to like a journalist's Instagram page who had the same name and he'd have their little symbol of the kind of infinity bow tie. I'm like, OK, so this is just kind of all of their industry mates kind of tagging in and out. And it's it's, you know, it's fun. Yeah, it's fun. It's fine. I mean, like the question becomes like when they go on tour and they are due to play here in I think September or October, if those gigs go, or if that goes ahead of Gig and Wheelands, the question becomes who turns up, you know, like who's actually on the stage making the music. Um, yeah. And there probably is footage out there, but it seems to be kind of a bit of a rolling collective over the years. This is very much like the, like they're signed to Sergeant House now, which, you know, is not a major, major label, but it's a very respected uh, like kind of heavier music label in the States and they have really good artists and they've got a really good rep and they seem to be kind of working with ours in the correct way they've got a really good reputation just even amongst how they treat the people on their staff i mean from what i've read i don't know how true that is but like um this is very much their coming out party i think in lots of ways like it's kind of you know there's like there is a lot of like i suppose of attractive glamour in play but yeah but at the same time i didn't care too much to go down the rabbit holes i didn't care too much to get to dive into you know twin peaks season three subreddits or whatever yeah, like yeah. i kind of you know i read the stereogram interview and i've read some of the reviews and i've read the vice article from a few years ago and i've read um you know the kind of like there's an article I think I sent you, which is like, I don't know, it's on like metal injection or something. And it's like, you know, here are the eight crazy conspiracy theories, craziest yeah. conspiracy theories about them. And I'm like, I don't even think I finished the article. It was like, yeah, One of them maybe. was like, is it an ad agency? And I was like, oh, I feel affronted here. <laughs> well, this, this is like when at the end of the year on our end of year songs episode, I described the 1975 as more of a creative agency than a band. So like, if anything, I, <laughs> I planted the seeds, you know, and people yeah, started yeah. running with it. So, so it is good to hear our influence spreading to Detroit and beyond. Um. Yeah, like I don't I don't find the the whole kind of lore thing and the whole kind of, you know, I guess PR elements to this to be off-putting, but I don't care about it. And also to get to the point of this, to get to the album part of the album review, uh, I think it's a great album. I think it's really, really sharp. I think it's really, really fast-paced, dynamic. I think it's a barrage. It can be overwhelming. Um, there were times when I couldn't tune into it because it can just be, like, a lot. I do like this kind of music quite a lot. I'm, you know, I'm a big Converge fan, big Dillinger fan. Uh, I find absolute beauty in this kind of stuff, like, a lot of the time. Um, and there is, yeah, there's, like, lots of good switch-ups, lots of good kind of, you know, vocals going, like, zigging when you think they might zag and that kind of thing. Um, at times, you know, I kind of like, even on the vocals, I kind of wish the vocals were mixed a bit clearer in the mix or a bit yeah. louder slightly. Cause it's a shame. Cause I think that the melodies are great and the approaches are cool. I think they're managing to do something vaguely new in a genre that can be a bit formulaic, might be a bit too unfair of a word, but 
you know, hardcore metalcore, like there is a sound, there is a style and it can be hard to kind of stand out from the pack. I mean, you can, you know, it's, it's funny, like like an album like this or like an, an album like, you know, by Converge or whatever would often bring some back to when I was in school. And I remember like being into new metal and stuff and kind of getting a bit of snobbiness for that. Uh, it's amazing how that went away, though, over the years, isn't it? No one ever slags me off for listening <laughs> to new metal. Um, but like I remember like someone in particular, like kind of like sniffing at like, quote, indecipherable lyrics. And like, don't get me wrong. I mean, like I certainly wasn't uh, incredibly like eloquent with my with my pop culture taste back when I was a teenager. I'm certainly not now. But I've, you know, maybe even like goes line in line with like the Wu Life stuff as well. But like, I don't need to hear everything so crystal clear all the time. I don't like, I like mystery in my lyrics. I like mystery in my vocals. I like when music is kind of held back and the abstract is embraced. That's all here. Um, yeah, I, I think it's a very, very good album. Um, I don't know how good. I kind of want to like it more than I might at the moment, but it does feel like one of the standouts of the year so far for me anyway. But again, I was kind of on board. This is kind of my music. I'm more curious as to what you thought of it over the course of the week. Um, It kind of went down far easier than I thought it might. And, you know, it is quite pop. Um, I was reminded of, like, there's obviously nothing really new under the sun. So I was thinking of Jesus and Mary Chain, Psycho Candy, where it's like we're going to have these, you know, girl group pop melodies and then just have shards of feedback over it. So there felt like a bit of that going on, some like kind of willful sabotage of the sound. And it's funny you mentioned the kind of lyrics because when I put the literature aside, I was like, okay, I'll actually dip into Genius and see what's going on. I think actually, like, even like on a song like All Futures, they're clearly talking about, you know, this great American capitalist experiment is over and a race to nowhere. You know, you you can be anti, anti everything. And I think that actually kind of works when the music's quite exhilarating as well. It's not as tiresome as maybe the art project of the stuff around them. Um, that said, like I've seen people are like having a pretty extreme reaction to this and I think a lot of people are loving it and very much on board and I think the Stereo Gum piece calls the music like tears on the bench press kind of somewhat ironically but it's like quite emotional music and I don't know if I had that emotional connection to the songs I don't know if the kind of (laughs) the presentation the sharp presentation of the band allowed me to connect or was an impediment to getting into the songs but the music was pretty strong like I kept being reminded of as different players kind of came in and out, almost it felt like a kind of Queens of the Stone Age pro- project when they're in their prime. Do you know what I mean? You just get, I think even Mark Lanigan's on the at the end of, of the record and maybe the guitarist as well, but it just felt like that thing of like a revolving cast of characters that are like top of their game that want to do something a bit looser and in the process are probably veering down interesting avenues and taking the kind of genres to, uh, you know, the, the outer limits of their boundaries at times. Um, so yeah, there's definitely a uh, like handful of songs that will take away from this. Off oh, Future's great, Life's So Wonderful felt like unironically joyful as well to me. And I like when, I think they wear their kind of synth pop um, elements quite well. Uh, like there's just quite a lot of subtlety there. Bad Selection is great. Um, I will say the mix was a massive problem for me in general because it just felt, this felt like a record that should have been played as loud as possible and there were times i like either be it on headphones or just true speakers i was like i'm gonna crank it up and it just felt so compressed when i did and there's so many different clearly great instrumental parts happening and layers all at once in different hooks and when you try and kind of hone into them it just at times becomes a mush and i'm like i've got to think that that was what they were going for they know what they're doing but 
if it made the record feel smaller than it should have been it should have been this like the, the melodies are there the hooks are there the ambition it should have been this massive record that you can kind of fully submerge into and it felt like that that mix just made it put it kind of at an arm's length for me it wasn't the harshness of the instruments or anything like that just the mix it felt very very far away probably enough to like deduct a mark off but overall i enjoyed it yeah no i agree with all that uh it's a shame like it's 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 tricky with sometimes with albums where you're like oh you're like i love what i'm hearing i love how i'm hearing it i just wish i could jump into the studio and just tap the engineer on the shoulder and be like can we just turn that one up and that one down uh i'm like you know i don't know what i'm doing but trust me it'll work um and yeah Yeah, yeah, yeah. like there is there is like um I didn't get any real emotion out of it. Not that I don't think there's emotion in it. I, I just, it just didn't really affect me on that level. Um, that said, though, I think it's a, I think it's a rollicking experience. I think that this kind of music is very vital and can be. And there are moments on this one where I feel that for sure. And it's a keeper for me. It's an eight out of ten. I will definitely be going back to it. Yeah, I kind of, I kind, I wish it was a ten, but I wish everything was a ten. So I'll take an eight <laughs> out of ten. You know, why not? <laughs> good it's good. It's the arm, it's yeah. ultra pop. What's your, what's your score? Yeah, like seven, seven point five, I would say. And if you're kind of listening to this and you're, you know, more to my taste and thinking that this kind of noisy hardcore stuff uh, wouldn't be up your street, I'd say like stick on a track like an iteration, give it a go. You might just kind of surprise yourself. There's almost kind of power poppy stuff there. I felt it was quite approachable mix aside. So yeah, a uh, strong seven. Yeah, I think all futures, average death, bad selection, they're all really, really enjoyable tracks. Like, this is heavy music, it can be off-putting, but there's enough kind of pop kind of, I suppose, peppered in, like, into the mix, even if the mix is a little bit irritating at times. Um, It's patreon.com slash noencore if you want to hear shows like No Oxcore, where we first discussed The Armed there at the start of last month. There'll be a new episode at the start of next month, and uh, you can know. Episode previews, playlists, our undying love, etc. You know how it, how it goes. Thanks to everyone who does support the show. Patreon.com slash Noancore. And it's time. It's that time again. It's top five time. Craig, do you want to lead us in this week and tell us what we're talking about? Yeah, so it's Oscars weekend. We're all excited. Um, I don't really know many of the films that are even nominated. You've probably seen a bunch of them, have you? Or are we still yet to I've get a, a bunch no, of them? I've seen a few, yeah. Um, it's, I mean, it's weird. It almost feels like the Oscars feels less and less relevant every year. Yeah. Um, it still doesn't have a host. For a variety... Yeah, for a variety of, yeah, that's a big strange thing, all right, for a variety of reasons. And um, it's obviously like perhaps the most famous industry piss up in all of the land, but you know, people tune in and you know, you read the results, whatever. Uh, I'll, I'm not going to stay up for it. I haven't in a long time. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what I is would, necessarily going to win. Maybe we're just getting old. Possibly, yeah. Oh, look, culture changes, culture evolves, all of it does. But songs, some songs are timeless, I would suggest. Yeah, so basically the perimeters of our top five here is, you know, songs that would have been eligible for best original song in the Oscars. Um, So that means it's not really instrumental tracks. It's not like themes from the score. It's proper, proper songs, proper Proper tunes. Radio X. (laughs) Uh, But they have to have been written with the express purpose of going in the film. They can't have been kind of released and then, you know, filmmaker really likes the tune and sticks it in and then it blows up. It has to be, you know, eligible for the Oscar. Um, So that was basically all the perimeters. I put some other ones on myself. Like I just kind of left off James Bond songs because we'd done that previously. Dave, you were saying you had some of your own perimeters you were working to there was a little spin on this you you put for yourself yeah what i don't know maybe this is how yours turned out or maybe you don't want to say i don't know but the way that mine turned out was 
none of these songs in my five won the Oscar for best song, and these are songs I contend should have won the Oscar oh, for best nice. original song. So what's like is that reflective of yours, or do you have a couple of actual winners? I think I have a couple of winners here. Yeah, just okay, some, right. Some well, that ruins have, my yeah. that ruins my planned episode title for the week of songs that should have won Oscars. Fuck. Can't use that. I'll double check, okay, but we'll see. <laughs> Fair enough. No, no, you know, like I've ruined us. Yeah, I've, I'm looking now. I've ruined it. <laughs> cool. I'll go with the much more cumbersome songs written for the motion pictures or something like that. But uh, why don't you kick us off then? Tracks for the in, talkies, uh, no? Surely. <laughs> I'll kick us <laughs> off. for the talkies is pretty good. I like that. All right. Um, I did use this uh, top five to maybe, um, this might be a chance to kind of rehabilitate or like maybe put the spotlight on some semi-forgotten um, songwriters. Um such is the case with my first one and this opens the film and the film opens with a young man staging a, a mock suicide your head and let your feelings out instead now don't be shy just let your feelings roll on by 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 Cat Stevens there with Don't Be Shy, taken from Hal Ashby's cult 1971 film, Harold and Maude, um, which I haven't seen in years, but I still listen to this song a good bit. Um, yeah, like, as I say, a kind of cult rom-com might be the wrong uh, word for it very dark dark, when it came out the reception was yeah uh quite hostile and people were horrified i wonder now with the subject matter if it came out now would it get made now you know there's a there's a lot of dark themes that are dealt with i think quite well but people could think maybe previously done um this is a uh, uh, yeah go ahead this is a cult film so tell us tell us all about it craig and also when did you see it i saw it years ago I feel like it was a kind of f- film for late night thing when I was in my teens. It's definitely going back a decade or so. Um, Bud Court's kind of a young dude who um, has this habit of constantly staging his own suicide, ostensibly to kind of get his mother's attention. Um, it doesn't have much truck with life. He also goes to um, funerals, people he doesn't know. And there he meets Ruth Gordon's character, who's an older lady who is very much kind of living life to the fullest. Um, just an exuberant character, brings out the best in him. And it's kind of just like, you know, the they're the original odd couple. Well, they're not the original odd couple because it's not the film The Odd Couple. It's Harold and Maud. But um, a romance, an unlikely romance, blossoms between the two despite the kind of age gap. And they learn a lot of lessons. And I, as I say, I think it's it's quite a kind of peculiar film. I think it handles the teams quite well. And I think Cat Stevens, you know, a number of his songs are in the soundtrack. I think the kind of levity of Cat Stevens songs, you know, that kind of wide-eyed innocence that is, you know, can occasionally be mocked, I think. I think he's maybe in the Paul McCartney bracket where he's just seen as, like, all sunshine and rainbows until he converted to Islam, of course, and was saying that Salman Rushdie should be killed. Um, But this was before that. I think that just kind of brings so much needed levity to the plot. It works really well, and it just... You kind of see the light behind the darkness of the story. It's a great film, yeah. I recall, same for me, I would have seen it during my, like, you know, late teens, probably early 20s. Very hipster, you know. Give me all the hipster yeah, films is. on DVD. <laughs> uh, excellent film, though. Really, really do love it. Um, and, yeah, it's it, one I should probably revisit. Um, it's, it's 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 at this point in the top five that I always enjoy. I always enjoy when Craig picks something very artful, you know, thoughtful, <laughs> 
you know, quite 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 heartstring tugging, and then I get to just come along and be Dave Hanready and do what I always do, which is play songs like this. Here's my number five. I mean, every bit is poignant and emotional, isn't it? It's Chad Kroger and Josie Scott of Saliva. Chad Kroger, of course, of Nickelback. (laughs) (laughs) The song is Hero, taken from what soundtrack, Craig? In 2002? Uh, Spider-Man. Was that the full title? It was just Spider-Man. Spider-Man. Yeah, Yeah, you even did the hyphen. You did Spider-Man there. Oh, you have to. It's not Spider-Man. No, it's not Spider-Man. It's Spider-Man. So uh, this was the incredible uh, sound of the summer in 2002. I think we can all agree. Everyone was blaring it from their cars. (laughs) People were opening up windows and putting out giant stereos. It was everywhere, you know. It was was the hottest summer of all time. So what I've done here, right, is uh, for each of my five, because as noted, none of these won. Um, I've I, I've managed to dip into the, the subsequent Oscars and, and just to see, take the temperature of what was happening. So with all of these, I've written down Oscar? Question mark. And in the case of Hero, I've written wasn't nominated, which is a major crime. Uh, Eminem won for Lose Yourself Lose from yourself, 8 Mile yeah, yeah. in 2003. Uh, defeating songs from Frida, Chicago, The Wild Thornberrys movie and Gangs in New York. Can you name the band and the song that were up for original song for Gangs in New York? I don't have close to home. Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. You too. I had to be right. Yes, it is. The song. It's not a good song. Something about America. Of course it is. Yeah. Come on. The the hands that built America or something. Oh, he got it. Yay. (laughs) Well done. These are the hands that built America. In in those songs. Yeah, yeah. Perfect. Yeah. I remember that Oscars performance. Very like, you know, to the stars kind of stuff. But there was no place at the Oscars for Chad Kroger and Josie Scott. I'm sure they would have made some very cool statements on the red carpet, but it didn't get to happen. This song was written by Chad Kroger and recorded specifically for Spider-Man in 2002, released via Roadrunner Records you know Slipknot Home and all that kind of stuff um, big commercial hit I suppose it had a video of them playing on a roof and lots yeah. of interspersed you know Spider-Man action this feels like the kind of death knell of that time though this used to be a very popular thing throughout the 90s into the early 2000s of like you know here's the music video here's footage of the film spliced in together that's kind of gone like that's not really I don't think that really happens as much anymore maybe I'm just not watching the music channels but I feel like no, those days I, I, were I think halcyon. you're right there's maybe been a slight resurgence um like I thought maybe a slightly different Spider-Man song might pop up, a far more recent one. Um, and it still might, who knows. But yeah, this definitely felt like the end of that era. And maybe an era of music as well, which I wasn't totally on board with. But I, of course, remember, yeah, the song was everywhere to the point that I distinctly remember like being off school or something and Jerry Ryan playing it and being like, I love this. So the, the, these lads have great voices. And I was just like, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> and them on the rooftop as well, just like gazing mean, meaningfully at like the fucking eagles or whatever. It's just like such yeah. a vibe. Um, it's very a trip. It's time. It it's is, yeah. I think I mean, it's fitting that, um, I was going to say, Jim Steinman passed away this week, uh, the meatloaf collaborator. And he also did... Um, Bonnie Tyler's Total Eclipse of, of the Heart, which is just like, I think this is a fitting tribute to that level of kind of 
earnest bombast where it's just like I'm writing an anthem I don't give a fuck and you're all going to cry to it yeah I think uh, I think if I ever became like a big shot music mogul earnest bombast would be my pseudonym I think Probably. with a song like this I mean look it's out and out popcorn fodder that's what it is it's three minutes long gets to the chorus pretty quickly uh, I don't know why he felt the need to bring Josie Scott on board but I'm glad he did um, and I guess so this Josie is- Scott very happy i'm sure yeah it, well depending on how the contract was negotiated i don't know how happy he is about it but like i'd say chad's rootless to be honest i feel like well he's canadian you know, he'd be a nice guy maybe no but you know slick businessman i think um yeah, maybe this is i mean like we are approaching saturation point here of me crowbarring nickelback into my top fives but i had to do it and i you know you're right to allude to another spider-man related song i will say i didn't pick that one oh and that song sour. Sunflower by Post Malone and Sway Lee, yeah. which is incredible. But I thought, number one, kind of recency bias. Number two, didn't want to yeah. double up on Spider-Man. And number three, Hero is, for my money, Craig, the best song of all uh, time. <laughs> of all time. Not just in a <laughs> Spider-Man film. <laughs> yeah, I went as far as um, making the clip for Sunflower and then I just didn't actually, spoiler alert, it didn't go ahead. My number four, this, this song did actually go ahead. And... Um, Guess what I'm going for? Yeah, it's um, elusive, it's inscrutable, it's hipstery. Here you go. In the windmills of your mind, keys that jingle in your pocket, words that jangle in your head. Why did summer go so quickly? Was it something that you said? Lovers walk along the shore and leave their footprints in the sand. Is the sound of distant drumming just the fingers of your hand? Pictures hanging in a hallway and a fragment of a song. Remembered names and faces, but to whom do they belong? When you knew that it was over, you were suddenly aware that the autumn leaves were turning to the cut. Yeah, windmills of your mind there, uh, taken from Thomas Crown Affair, the original, not the Pierce Brosnan uh, remake, which I believe had this song also in it, but Sting was singing it. I have not heard that version. I didn't see the film. I don't feel like I'm missing out. Maybe I am. Uh, I don't know. But it's... Um, yeah, you know, we've tackled, like, actors trying their hand at music before, and this is actor Noel Harrison uh, trying it, nailing it. He wasn't actually in the film. Um, also, obviously, along with Josie Scott, who's on verse two. Um, no, he wasn't. But, yeah, this, like, I'm not totally in love with this film. I think it's wonderfully shot. Um, this is probably the best thing about it. Uh, it's, you know, a really good soundtrack to, like, a rich dude enjoying a bit of hand gliding while he's like, you know, got a heist playing in his mind. Uh, it's a very kind of English strand of like cosmic contemplation. I think there's like this psychedelic vibe to it. It was 1968 um, and it comes out all kind of wistful. And I love that line of when you knew that it was over, you were suddenly aware that the autumn leaves returning to the colour of her hair. It's just like Leonard Cohn, Ray Davies levels of class. It's really, really good. It's one of those kind of songs that was... Um, the music was composed by Michel Legrand. It initially had like French lyrics. You know the way you always hear those stories in like fifties and sixties of like Frank Sinatra heard this French tune and then you got someone to write English lyrics. And in this case, it was a married couple, uh, a couple of Americans, Alan and Marilyn Bergman, who were like still together, I believe, and still with us, and probably close to hundred. So I hope they're doing well. But um, they wrote this together. Um, they paired it with Legrand's melody. They had their choice. I think there was a few kind of Calypso options on the table, but they went with this weird kind of Baroque pop 
piece. And initially that scene was set to Strawberry Fields Forever. They were kind of trying to mimic that psychedelic, wistful vibe. And they totally nail it. I think it's great. I think I think Noel Harrison like there's been a lot of covers of this. Um the Sting one, obviously, which I haven't heard. There's not really any great ones. I think Tom Jones has just released one, weirdly enough. Even a Dusty Springfield one turns into kind of Muzak. I think Noel Harrison doing like the actor's read of it really sells it. And it's just, it just kind of hints at like, I don't know, the pointlessness of existence, the unease there, but there's something beautiful in it, the inner turmoil. And I think it's, it's the best thing about the film. The film's like a bit of fun. It's well shot. It's a bit shallow. I think this is the deepest thing about it. Well, I'm, I don't know how to take the mic up after that existential sign off, but <laughs> I'll try. Uh, and I will say that um, the Pierce Brosnan version, I recall being grand, you know, a bit of a romp, a bit of a caper. Um, but remakes are <laughs> yeah. always. I mean, the know, original strange. was kind of like that as well, so probably yeah. did a great job. There's, you know, there's a place in the world for an actor Pierce from Brosnan. Trying to be Steve yes. McQueen. Yeah, I mean, like, it, it can sure. be done. Um, number four for me, uh, a great song. And that's my entire intro. <laughs> <laughs> It's gotten to the stage where I'm getting a low battery warning on my actual laptop, so I had to plug in a lead okay, there, over. terrified that it was going to uh, collapse on me. But no, we're all good. We're back. We're all in business, and we're in business listening to the amazing strains of Envogue. Envogue. Yeah. I say envelope. No one else does, but I say envelope, not envelope. Envogue. I think Envogue. En Vogue. Yeah. We'll go with En Vogue. The song is Don't Let Go, open brackets, love, close brackets, uh, taken from the film, written for the film Set It Off, a film from 1996, directed by F. Gary Gray, who would go on to make films such as The Negotiator, Law Abiding Citizen, Fast and the Furious Eight, and probably lots <laughs> of others as well. He's got a bit of a televisual sensibility. And I remember this film Back in the VHS days, starring uh, Jada Pinkett, uh, Queen Latifah, Vivica Fox. It's about a bunch of friends who um, go to do a bank heist, a bank robbery, to try and pay off their respective yeah. debts and li- live a better life. Um, it had a bit of a good critical reputation. Um, decent enough film. Probably a three Never out of five. Never seen it. Haven't. Yeah, I it's didn't fine. even realise this song was for a film, to be honest. See, there you but go. I think classic, a lot of people yeah. don't. Yeah, this, I mean, like it's, it was written for the film and then like later re-released on an En Vogue album a year later and became pretty much their biggest hit. I mean, like they're an act that have been around for a very long time. They've kind of been through the mill in lots of different ways. I mean, like one of their members left just after Don Robinson, like left just after the height of this kind of success to go off and uh, I think she went off to the, that band Lucy Pearl and then went off and did her own thing they've reformed a bunch they actually had a European tour back in 2017 that kicked off in Dublin and uh, by all accounts it was a lot of fun um, just a really good girl group for a while like this kind of like really good New Jack Swing R&B mid 90s kind of vibe stuff it's a track that once I realised oh yeah that was from Set It Off that was written for Set It Off I was like it's just a great song like like it's just a really fucking strong ballad 
speaking to a very influential i would suggest um as for the oscar not even nominated craig didn't even get into the nominations um outrageous the, the winner I, like that, I've, you've got to feel like it's more about the film's chances than the quality of the song right there's a oh, lot yeah. of politics in the oscars and, i mean this i don't want to indie. say it but <laughs> yeah no this was an indie like set, set it off was not a big I, I don't think it was a big box office hit or anything um so at the oscars that year the winner of Best Original Song was You Must Love Me from Evita, which we covered on No Popcorn a few months ago. Sung oh. by Madonna, written by Andrew Lloyd Webber and Tim Rice. Also nominated that year, songs from the films Up Close and Personal, One Fine Day, The Mirror Has Two Faces, and, and this is a good one, the title song from That Thing You Do, written by the late Adam oh, Schlesinger. Yeah. yeah, that was a great song. That was a tricky one Excellent as well because song. it's it's like in the movie it's their massive hit so like the song has to be good you have to believe like th- their whole career was based on this song so yeah that was that was great yeah and this song I think um, don't let go is just like it's it, it, it's it stood the test of time you know it often appears on best songs in the 90s list and best kind of you know I guess girl and boy band kind of stuff and yeah it's just like it's just a really really pleasing well written well performed song that should have won the best original song at the Oscar. Yeah, it's a good example of like when we were we were talking about boy band songs and I was saying it was quite difficult to find really good ones um, and girl groups would be a lot easier. I mean, this is just one of many from the 90s that is like an instant classic. Really, really good. Okay, for my next choice, um, yeah, I'm sorry for being so establishment with my choices. This won the Oscar. Ain't no angel gonna greet me My clothes don't fit me no more I want a thousand miles just to slip this scheme The night is falling, I'm blind awake I can feel myself fading away So receive me, brother, with your faithless kiss Or will we? Leave each other alone like this on the streets of Philadelphia. Trust me, I will bring it up at some point, okay? Like, I will... <laughs> this has been very heavy on my end. I can only apologise. But it's streets kind of, of week Philadelphia. What week are you having, it's, man? It's Bruce Springsteen. It's, Boss um, man Bruce. <laughs> uh, yeah, part one of Tom Hanks's domination of the Oscars in the 90s as well. Um, from the film Philadelphia. And, um, yeah, it's a song that doesn't really need a movie, but... um. Obviously, paired with the film, it's it's just fantastic. It won the best original song. It won, you know, song of the year at the Grammys. As I say, totally establishment. Philadelphia as well. Just one of the first mainstream films to acknowledge HIV/AIDS in general. Um, homophobia um, did a lot for the cause, and uh, yeah, one of those powerful films that I haven't seen in absolute years because it's kind of a bit of tough going, and it becomes a bit cliched as well. But um, certainly, probably deserving of the accolades at the time. And I played this song quite a lot. I think it's great. It's just really up there with my favourite Bruce stuff. I love the kind of him bringing in the tunnel of love, insanely warm since. Um, I think his lyrics are totally on point because, you know, Bruce is so known for like finding hope in like hopeless situations. And this is just like about the deterioration of someone's body and just all hope fading. And somehow he drags beauty out of it. Um, It was also, you know, along with the synth thing, it was recorded at home, same place he wrote and recorded Nebraska. And I think it was another case where he used like the demo rather than the band cut he kind of put together. He just thought it was more impactful. And you can definitely hear that. It's um, 
yeah it's 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 a great song like just a few bruce has done a lot of songs for films i think secret garden is great it's a bit mushy but it works <laughs> and jerry Maguire, i think it's a great song again beautiful kind of pillowy synths in it um wasn't so much a fan of like the wrestler song where he's talking about being a one-legged dog walking down the street i'm like that i works. think you meant three-legged dog right didn't you mean three-legged i don't know uh, I mean, wrestling's weird, man. Anything can happen, you know. It's tough. Um, yeah, yeah looks. I mean, so this did win the Oscar. Okay, I actually won somehow, the Oscar. I feel like I should know this, and it makes a lot of sense. But I, I can't. I've never. Is there photographs of Bruce Springsteen holding an Oscar aloft? Because I just don't think I've ever seen one. Somehow, it just doesn't strike me as the kind of uh, event that he would go to. Yeah, I'm not sure if he's at this ceremony. Uh, weirdly enough, there was another song from this film that was up for it as well. Uh, this beat it. Um, and Adam, we've got a little, tiny little s- snippet of that song. It was also from uh, another kind of ma- massive rock star. Sometimes I think that I know what love's all about. And when I see the light, I know I'll be. Anytime yeah, you J- want to bring it up Josie there, Craig. Scott there with, um, of Good course, time, Neil Craigie. Young. <laughs> I think Neil Young was like, he was asked first and he wrote that. And um, the director was like, I think that might be a bit heavy. We'll have it like at the end of the film. And they got Bruce in uh, to do something slightly more stirring. But yeah, like I think, you know, Bruce Springsteen was um, commissioned to do a song because they wanted like a song that could play in like shopping malls and actually get people that wouldn't have any interest in these kind of films or the cause to watch the film. I think it was a case of mission uh, accomplished. I saw this film, right? Back when it came out on video, which must have been back in those days, Exhibition, probably a year and a half after, so like 1995, I would have been seven years old. I distinctly remember Fitzpatrick family, like living room, I think an aunt and uncle had come over, they were visiting, there was a fondue set on the go, I remember, so it was definitely the 90s, someone was probably like lion dancing in the corner, and talk turned to like recent movies that my parents had seen, and they were like, you know, obviously um, Philadelphia, Tom Hanks, very good, very moving, and me, having seen it, like being in the room with them watching the film. I'm sorry, parents, but yeah, I was allowed to watch these kind of films. I piped up with, and this is spoilers for the film, I wouldn't bother, he dies in the end. Wow. So you were that guy. You were that guy at age seven. That's amazing. Um, Jesus. Well, you know, look, you know, you got to start being a critic somewhere. I'm pretty sure I saw that film in school and I was like, Jesus, really? (laughs) Like, this is so heavy. (laughs) It's a very good film, I think, if memory serves. But yeah, I mean, what are you going to do? Right. Well, look, listen, um, the tone's fairly heavy. I'm going to have to keep it a bit heavy for my third selection or my my choice number three. But I will say there is a tie in here because um, this is a song that was written for one Tom Cruise film in particular, didn't quite make it in, and ended up in another one. Here we go. Prepare a list for what you need before you sign away the deed Cause it's not going to stop It's not going to stop the wonderful Amy Mann there. The song is Wise Up. It's on the soundtrack to Magnolia, 
1999, which I guess calling that a Tom Cruise film is a bit generous. It's an ensemble uh, masterpiece and quite a draining film. Um, It was originally written for Jerry Maguire. Did you know that? I did not know that because I was thinking of this song because it's phenomenal. But I was thinking, I don't think it was written or recorded for Magnolia, so it doesn't count. But of course... It was yeah, written for a film, so it's in there. And it should see, be, you know, it's a, it's a number one pick, I think, Dave. I can't wait to see what you've got coming up. And uh, I mean, like, we're, we're very, very in weird, strange simpatico this week because this was my number one and I bumped <laughs> it down to number three. I swapped my number three with my number one. And I don't know if that will pay off now because this song is absolutely beautiful. And yeah, I had the same thing because I was like... I am very familiar with Magnolia. I think it's an excellent film, Paul Thomas Anderson yeah, film. Um, I would have seen it quite a lot when it came out around 99, 2000. My brother in particular was a huge fan, huge fan of Amy Mann. So the soundtrack was always playing in the house. And I revisited it a few years ago in the Lighthouse Cinema with Higgs. And I mean, a couple of things struck me about the film. Uh, one was that it's incredibly long. It's relentlessly downbeat. And I think I actually somehow forgot just how you know grim it is and it is a very very grim film i think it's a beautiful film i really really do and i think that there is cause for optimism in there but it's if you've never seen magnolia maybe approach with caution it is extremely uh draining in lots of ways but that's maybe the mark of a really kind of good film i don't know yeah um, i think it's worth it but like so this song was written for jerry Maguire. Um, apparently it didn't make it in. There was like a demo version that I, I, ha- I have seen. There's some debate over this. I've seen it reported that like some cuts of the film, maybe some DVDs in some region somewhere do like the song is in it. But I, I don't think, I don't know. I mean, I, I actually rewatched Jerry Maguire last year and I don't remember it popping up. So I, I could be wrong on this one open to, you know, correction, but wise up in Magnolia certainly is the more memorable one if it did make it into whatever weird cut you watched of Jerry Maguire because if you've seen Magnolia you'll know I'm referring to a sequence towards the end of the film about two-thirds in in which uh, I mean this is a fairly audacious film but this is one of the most audacious things in a film I think and it's very divisive I absolutely love it Craig you know what I'm talking about can you can you tell the listener yeah, um, kind of the fort wall is broken, the song cuts in and you've got a lot of the characters. It's like the obviously an, an ensemble film, as Dave was saying, and you've got a lot of the characters in various scenarios singing along to the song and it kind of takes you out of the moment slightly. But I think, yeah, I really like the film and I've wrestled with this over the years. Every time I see it, I'm like, is this genius or is this not quite working? I think it's probably genius, but I'm not quite sure why. Uh, Paul Thomas Anderson was a quite young filmmaker. He was coming off Boogie Nights and Hard Eight. So he's around 30 or so, maybe not even when he makes Magnolia. Uh, He was interviewed by The Guardian in 2000, uh, who say, As a writer, Anderson starts with lists, actors and music. Magnolia came out of Amy Mann's songs, which I was listening to at the time I was starting to write, says Paul Thomas Anderson. I had her two solo albums and a lot of her demos because she's a friend. I think the tone she gets is really beautiful. So I thought about using them as a basis or an inspiration for the film. Uh, some some of her lyrics actually end up as lines of dialogue, but it says, yeah, towards the finale, Anderson lays man's wise up on the soundtrack and cuts across all the San Fernando, cuts, uh, cuts all across the San Fernando Valley uh, to his different characters who all dreamily sing along with line each from the song. It should be a ridiculous moment, but it's now the emotional high point of the movie. So he says, I wondered about that moment. I tricked everyone by getting Julianne Moore to do it first. She can always set the pace because actors are so competitive. Then everybody was up for it. Uh, there's a very good kind of revisit of this on the AV Club last year, which kind of talks about it as well and how it's it's a moment that like speaks it's it's very as you say it's fourth wall breaking it's very meta because it's even like you know almost referring to the length of the film itself now interestingly enough um 
I was kind of split on this because I was like, do I go with Wise Up or do I go with Save Me, which Amy Mann did write for Magnolia. It plays over the end credits. And it was Oscar nominated the following no, no. year, but it didn't win. It was she, she was nominated with Save Me, which, by the way, is just as beautiful a song. I think it's fantastic. But Wise Up to me just has that kind of emotional resonance. It has that kind of association. It's so integral as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like at that point in the film, you desperately need the breather. Like you desperately need this kind of moment to just kind of like either sink all the way in and just like have that kind of moment of release. I find it very emotional. Um, But yeah, so she was nominated for Save Me. Didn't win. Phil Collins won for You'll Be In My Heart from the motion picture Tarzan. Also nominated uh, songs from Music of the Heart, Toy Story 2 and South Park, Bigger, Longer and Uncut. I think Amy should have taken home the gong. It's a shame that she didn't. Magnolia is a great movie. It's a lot of it's it's a big commitment, but I think she manages to kind of give you those moments of of kind of necessary empathy and necessary kind of catharsis. Yeah, and I yeah I think it's a it's like an it's episode of the show. Oh, for sure. Yeah, that's <laughs> it's a stunner. That's, it's that's a great what we choice. try and do. Okay, um, my next choice is taken from a film that notes on a couple of occasions that Harold and Maude is probably the greatest love story of our time. His friends say, look, life's no fairy tale Then he should have some fun He's suffered long enough Well, they may know about domestic and imported ale But they don't know a thing about love well, his friends would say he's dreaming and living in the past, but they've never fallen in love, so his friends need not be asked. His friends would say, be reasonable. His friends would say, let go. But there's something about Mary that they don't know. Mary. There's a little lighter there. Uh, Jonathan Richman with There's Something About Mary from There's Something About Mary. And yeah, really just any excuse to big up Jonathan Richman, um, formerly of The Modern Lovers, kind of seen as like something of a godfather of punk as well um, with their first album, um, tracks like Roadrunner, and then just kind of went solo and did this slightly whimsical thing you can hear in this film, which is great. I think like he nails it. He gets it really he does it you know so sublimely it's um childlike it's great it's never twee though and i think just works so well in this kind of ostensibly gross out comedy that is actually a kind of quite sweet movie like i'm sure now it would have tons of warnings before you watch it but it has like this light touch and actually something resembling a plot which is great um yeah, I've said before, like, John Richmond songs like That Summer Feeling are absolutely fantastic. There's some of just uh, just incredible works, I think, are brilliant. The Farley Brothers thought the same. They actually were writing the film when they went to one of his gigs, heard a number of tunes, and were just like, well, this would be perfect. We could somehow work them in. And what ends up happening is that um, Jonathan, along with the drummer Tommy Larkins, kind of play the role of, like, this Greek chorus duo. Um and it's quite funny it's cool it's just I'm thinking like you know you might think Streets of Philadelphia is the slightly more accomplished song than this 90 second little sweet ditty but I guess Bruce Springsteen's brief for Philadelphia was probably a lot easier than Jonathan Richmond's thing of like give us something you know and possibly yearning and you'll perform it as like a Greek chorus like 
a few minutes before the Frankenbean scene and then at the end spoiler alert he gets shot by like an elderly love rival as an aside initially in the film I think apparently Ted was supposed to die and they're like it might be a bit dark so um, he stepped in so he changed the course of the film Uh, I think all the better for it and yeah he wrote the scene in like 20 minutes I think it's great I think there's a wide eyed beauty about everything he does and uh, it's very touching it's a very really touching song even though it's completely just you know it's a joke song ostensibly but it's great it's funny you mentioned uh, watching Philadelphia with your folks I went to the cinema with my mother to see There's Fuck. Something About Mary <laughs> which I regretted uh, quite quickly I have to say yeah it's very upset Adam it's, is in it, anguish <laughs> in the it, upper window it, it's yeah uh, Adam is screaming through my through my, through my, through my left uh, headphone there yeah, I mean, listen, like I, I, I had the same reaction, guys, but it, but it, internally, you know, my head was screaming, and I just felt really, yeah. really awful. I felt, I mean, like my mother didn't seem to care, uh, but it was, it was, it was difficult, you know. I mean, I guess was everyone has laughing? those experiences. I can't remember. I mean, she certainly wasn't like, you know, there was no like, this is an outrage. Like, there was none of that. It was just kind of like, yeah. oh fuck, you know, this was maybe not quite as raunchy as I realized it would be. And that made for a very awkward experience. So I'm kind of triggered by that song. I'm kind of triggered by, 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 <laughs> by this movie. It, remi- it reminds me of when I went to um, see The Passion of the Christ with my mother. <laughs> what the fuck, Craig? <laughs> <laughs> Which what? was absolute torture. I didn't realize how extreme it was. And <laughs> about a half an hour in, I was like, this is going to be fucking grim. And for nearly the duration of the film, I was just playing Foo Fighters Big Me in my head. I was just <laughs> seen the video or something like that. And that got me through. I'm just fucking Big Me on rotation. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Listen, great song choice, but I, but I'm just too, I'm too ashen faced to, to continue. It's beating my sunburn Sorry. now. My face is white as a sheet now. This is all good. Uh, yeah. In, in, interesting choice. Totally very interesting. One of the better gags in the film, I suppose, but I'll probably never go back to it because I can't. Uh, as for my, my runner up now in the songs written for the movie's top five, um, I think you can have this film without this track. I mean, you can, but like, I think there's absolutely... Uh, does an incredible job of setting the tone immediately for a film that is sadly still incredibly relevant and just as searing as it was when it came out back in 1989. It's Public Enemy, it's Fight the Power, it's taken from Spike Lee's incredible tone poem, Do the Right Thing, which, I mean, like I say, like all of the... All of the narrative, all of the characters, all of the commentary it is making about American society and racism are very much still relevant today. It's an incredible film. Um, Spike Lee can be a bit hit and miss for me. I think this is a five-star classic. Uh, this is this track by, uh, by Public Enemy opens it up. It's almost like a music video unto itself in the opening credits with Rosie Perez dancing alongside to, uh, to this one. And this was written specifically for the film. Spike Lee went to them. I think they were about to go on tour with Run DMC. And they were like, Spike Lee was like, look, I need, this is a very specific film. 
I need a very specific voice. I thought of you guys. I think you can do this. And they absolutely did. I mean, like, again, Public Enemy are one of those acts that they're such a legacy act. There's so much to them. They're very overwhelming. Yeah. But a song like this just kind of cuts through all the noise. It's absolutely incredible. It's still amazing. Um, it was not nominated for Best Original <laughs> Song. And if it had have been, though, Craig, it would have lost... It would have yeah, lost to it would have lost to Under the Sea from The Little Mermaid, uh, which oh, was well, nominated. I mean, it is a jam, which was nominated for two songs alongside uh, songs from Parenthood and Shirley Valentine and a film called Chances Are, which I've never heard of. But yeah, I mean, look, if you want music to match your directorial vision uh, of this nature, you couldn't do much worse than Public Enemy in the late eighties, right? Yeah. Um just this is probably their peak and they had a lot of kind of great peaks but i think it's their best song it's such an incendiary moment it's still as he says like it sounds so fresh still the production is incredible i remember first getting into public enemy just every verse and every bar on this is so impactful it's just it kind of knocked me for six it's great it's great statement and it's sad that it's still so relevant but um it's an all-timer great choice thank you man all right dave my number one you ready okay dave can you describe for the listener what i'm doing and what you're seeing he's pushed his chair back he's putting his feet on oh you're wearing the white disco boots he's put his feet up on the desk and he's chilling out in the manner of come on (laughs) you've got it white disco boots hit it adam Shockingly didn't make my disco top five. Um, making up for it here. It's my number one. It's the Bee Gees. Dave, you have your hand up. Yeah, I do. It's staying alive. I've got a question for you. Did you wear Go the ahead. boots for the whole episode for the purpose of that reveal or have you been wearing them all day and thus to work? I've been wearing them for the entirety of lockdown, Dave. <laughs> 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 no, for this episode and they for this song They can't come off. <laughs> they can't. They are far too tight and uncomfortable, but by God, I look this so. Um Yeah, so this is kind of the theme from the film Saturday Night, Night Fever, defined an era, uh, an entire kind of musical genre, I suppose. And I think it's it's kind of a perfect song. The feckin' bass line, it's just incredible. Um, the opening is iconic. It's kind of funny. <laughs> it's just great as John Travolta struts down the street in similar uh, shoes um as i recall and yeah you know you can save a life if you compress um someone's chest and rhythm to this what more can you kind of say and also you know lyrically i think um it's also a song about how it's kind of tough out there on the streets by a bunch of in the know australian white dudes um and they wanted this to not be really about going out on a saturday night and i think that's true to disco you know from that discussion about disco it was like actually the greatest disco songs are about triumphing over adversity and this is like okay new york's a tough place to be but you still got saturday night you can still go dancing it's great um 
I can't say, what can you say about Staying Alive, really? It's just, it's just one of the best songs of all time. <laughs> yeah, you get, you get zero argument from me, Craig, and I agree with you. There's no point in us waxing further lyrical. It's just an amazing song. But, you know, I think I have its equal, you know? I, okay. I think I do have a song that, if not already, will certainly one day be discussed in the same vein. It will have the same impact on the world. It makes the same arguments. It's probably even better. My number one should have won an Oscar song is this. You know, <laughs> when uh, when Chad Kroger and Josie Scott were atop that roof in New York City in, I guess, um, late 2001 or 2002, whenever they were filming that promo for Hero, do you think that they were thinking about the 19th best-selling single in Irish chart music history, Iris by the Goo Goo Dolls, Craig? I know. 100%. <laughs> exact same vibe. <laughs> Yeah, it's very much, um, oh, uh, uh, Adam with some sass here in the chat. He says, if it's in a three, three quarter, three, four time signature, it's in Dave's top five. I mean, I, I don't know what the... Is it a waltz? I, yeah, I hadn't even considered that before. <laughs> they, they've reinvented the waltz. It's Goo Goo Dolls. It's Irish. It's there. I love how like you go onto like Wikipedia and it's like, their signature song. I'm like, you, you, you know shit. <laughs> like, name me another. I do like this. I think on a previous episode, um, I made the absolute mistake of saying... Saying I liked a train song and that song was Drops of Jupiter but then I realised I actually meant Iris by the Goo Goo Dolls. Now, to be fair you know like I mean I'm not I, I was being a bit you know a, a, a bit facetious on my way in and should this even be my number one is it better than Amy Mann? I mean I, I just think I think this week when I was researching this topic and I said to a friend that uh, what we were doing and they threw this back at me and I was like was that actually written for a film? It was a terrible film called City of Angels, starring Nicolas, Nicolas Cage, Cage yeah. and Meg Ryan, which I saw in the cinema, thankfully without my mother this time. And it was very bad, and it has a hilarious botched ending. It's a kind of a loose remake of a Vim Vendor's film called Wings of Desire, and it's not a good movie at all. Um, Isn't Nicolas Cage like an angel, an actual angel in it correct. or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who chooses to fall and, you know, like that fall That was happening love. a lot in the 90s. Angels, Just like, yeah. Yeah, like, wasn't John Travolta in like a comedy where he played like an archangel? Uh, I think it was called Michael. 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 Yeah, Not a good Jesus movie. Christ. He's also in a film called Phenomenon around the same time in which he has like weird cosmic powers. Um, strange times for John Travolta. I prefer his Broken Arrow face-off ventures. But um, <laughs> yeah, this song, I, like, I think the song rises above the, you know, I've heard it a million times. It's a jukebox song. It's on all the time. I think I think if I was out now, because we, we talked earlier on about like going to gigs, right? Or like going back on nights out and, and having that apprehension and that kind of fear. I think if we were out, right, post podcast as we used to be and we were in a bar and if this came on, I think I'd just start bawling my eyes out crying. <laughs> I think I'd be like, this is the greatest song. I thought you were going to say, start singing along. Oh, just 100%. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would start singing along, but I would break down pretty quickly. I think I would just yeah. hug everybody. Uh, There's I, a lot I think, of yearning in this song, to be fair. Oh, big time. The big strings time. are gorgeous. Um, it's a beautiful yeah. song. 
it's it a is. great song i think ultimately like like it is cheesy as fuck it is char friendly it is you know you could dismiss it but like i i, I don't know I, I think i'm over it now I, I i think i'm at that time i think i'm at that time in my life when i'm like you know what this is genuinely a great song uh wasn't was not nominated at the oscars though um the winner of the best original song in 1999 was when you believe from the prince of egypt also in contention tunes from quest for camelot the horse whisperer babe pig in the city and i don't want to miss a thing by aerosmith for armageddon that was oscar nominated and this wasn't are you kidding me um yeah i think it's um i think it's pretty great Uh, if you the singer of goo goo dolls john resnick said i was thinking about the situation of the nicholas cage character in the movie this guy is completely willing to give up his own immortality just to be able to feel something very human and i think wow what an amazing thing it must be like to love someone so much you give up everything to be with them that's a pretty heavy thought he says now um can you i have a double pop quiz for you craig because i know how much you love those um this was written for city of angels it was on that soundtrack but it was later included on the sixth album by goo goo dolls remember that figure can you name the album? Oh, Jesus. I couldn't name another <laughs> Goo Goo Dolls song. <laughs> the album. Hold on. You've given me a hint. So, yeah. sixth album. Um, yeah. No, no, that's for my next question. <laughs> like, oh, <laughs> then no. What is it? <laughs> the album is called Dizzy Up the Girl. And they have... Of, of course. So, they're still going, right? Yeah. They've been on the go since 1986. That was their sixth album in 1998. How many albums have Goo Goo Dolls released to date? Sorry, when were they formed? 1986. Um, they would be up to album... They're still together. still together. Still together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 11? 12. Very oh, close. Oh, not bad. <laughs> they released their 12th album called Miracle Pill in 2019. But if you want to count their Christmas album from 2020, just gone, called It's Christmas All Over, then yeah, that would be 13. But yeah, Iris Goo Goo Dolls, I think, it's, I think it is better than its reputation might suggest. I think it's held up quite better well. Better than that Aerosmith song, for sure. Without question. And okay, I'll concede it's not as good, well, as, staying, it's not as good as Staying Alive by the Bee Gees, but you know, a few songs are. What is? Yeah. What can I yeah, say? Fair. And that's our top five this week. Uh, you hyped for the Oscars now? Um, yeah, maybe like 5% more hyped than I was. So I'm at about like 15%. Glad to hear it. Okay. <laughs> uh, this episode of No Encore was engineered by Academy Award winning Sonic Architect Adam Shanahan. <laughs> Craig Fitzpatrick Beautiful was man. my co-pilot on this one. My name is David William Hanready. This has been No Encore. There will be No Encore. It's patreon.com slash No Encore if you want to help support the show. And we're back next week. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com. Introducing Peacock, the new free streaming service from NBC Universal. It's hit movies, current shows, live sports, trending bits, and timeless hits. And that's why you can't not watch. Peacock, watch for free, upgrade for more. Stream now at PeacockTV.com. Law and Order SVU streaming now. 
Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.